Good morning, church. It's good to see all of you. Um, before I get started here, uh, first of all, if you're brand new and we haven't met, I would love it if you would introduce yourself to me after the, the service. I'd love to get uh, to know you. And really, it is our desire that you feel welcome here and like part of the family. I know it's a little weird to show up at a new church. Uh, I'm a pastor. When I show up to a new church, I feel weirded out. So I get it. Uh, but we want you to know that you are absolutely uh, welcome here. In addition to that, I want to I wanna welcome a brand new addition to the awesome Rosa family. Ezra Shalom is here in the back, in the back row. Give the Rosa family a hand. <laughs> very, 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 very excited. There we go. Check it out. Oh, my goodness. All right. How can I, uh, yeah, you guys aren't hearing anything I say now, because how do you compete with that just irresistible cuteness, right? Uh, we are very, very, very happy for your family. Uh, your family has blessed us all for, for many years, and we hope that, that as a church we can uh, bless you as your family is, is growing. We love you all very, very much. So, all right. Uh, if you're new, to bring up your to speed, we are going through a series on uh, King David, uh, the story of David, in search of a, a king. And uh, as I start, I want to uh, throw out maybe a few quotes that you've probably heard before. Like, people never change, right? Or, if you look at a person's past, you can predict their future. Or, you can't teach an old dog. What? That's right. You all know that because that's in the Bible somewhere, right? It's not in the Bible. You know why? Because it's a total rejection of the Christian faith. It is a total uh, denial of the existence of God. It is true that many people don't change, but it is not because they can't. It's because they don't know how change happens. And so today, this morning, we are going to look at a case study of change from the life of King David. So maybe you blew up your life. Maybe you feel trapped by the consequences of some horrible decisions that you made. Maybe you feel that, that you've tried to change, but you just can't change, and you're on the verge of giving up. Or you know someone who's blown up their life and hurt a bunch of people, and you think, you know what, they're hopeless. They're never, ever going to change. Well, we're going to address that. There's hope in the gospel. Uh, we, that's, why it's our, that's why we say all the time, our, our mission here is, is to lead people to and through a life-changing relationship with Jesus and his family. So if you're not interested in life transformation, then you know what? You might not like it here very much. But as far as I know, most people long for transformation. Most people want to see their lives turn around. Most people have like this hint that who they are right now is, is not who they're supposed to be. So what is it that comes to your mind? Does anything come to your mind? Maybe a whole bunch of things come to mind. Now, in our series last week, we saw King David just totally blow up his life. He had an affair with his friend's wife, and then she became pregnant. 
And in an attempt to cover it up, David had his friend, who was a loyal soldier in his army, placed in a battle where the fighting was the fiercest. And then he gave orders to have everybody else just kind of pull back, all of the support pull back so that Uriah was stranded all alone in enemy fire so that he would be struck down and killed. So in a sense, he had his friend murdered to cover up the pregnancy from the affair that he had with his friend's wife. And not only did Uriah die, but also several of other soldiers that were fighting alongside with him. It was a mess. That was chapter 11. And the time between chapter 11 and this chapter 12 is about one year. And David has said nothing to anyone about his sin, including God. You know, later, you find in Psalm 32, David reflects about that year and what happened here in chapter 12. And look what he writes. He says, when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. This right here is despair. It's despair. Everything's hanging on a thread. I just messed up way too much. How in the world can I still be king? How, how, can, how can I even look at myself in the mirror? How can I even face another day of my life? But then there is a radical change. And reflecting on that, David says this, he said, blessed is he or happy is he whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man or happy is the man whose sin the Lord does not count against him. That right there is a radical transformation, right? He made it through. His sin did not defeat him. He came out a better person, a better leader. But the question is, how, right? How did he get from this point to that point? How did that transformation happen? How is it even possible? Well, David tells us in verse 5, he says this, Then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. That radical transformation, that, that, that change at life, that heart transformation that you are longing for, it happens through confession. Biblical confession. And we'll describe what that is this morning. But to frame the rest of this message, I want to give you two powerful truths. All right? One truth that we learn from the story is that every single one of us, without exception, we are all desperate. We are all desperate for confession. We all desperately need confession. All right. When I say all, I mean all. And it might be easy to think, you know what? I, I've never done anything like David I never killed anyone. I never had an affair. I, I, I haven't done this kind of stuff. Now, if that's what you're thinking, or if you're tempted to think that, you need to know that you're missing the point. All right? 
David is one of the greatest men in all of history, right? The Messiah is called the son of David. David, I mean, you look at, at his talent and his power and, and uh, you, you see as you read about his life that he was an artist and he was a poet and he was a musician whose, whose works have lasted for centuries upon centuries upon centuries. He was a, a great leader and a righteous warrior, a man after God's own heart. No man was greater than David. You know what that means for you and for me? If David was capable of this, so are you, and so am I. If David blew up his life through a lack of confession and, and through a lack of searching his heart, I mean, don't you think you can too? If he is capable of, of this, so are we. Now, I don't think people will be reading about me in 3,000 years. Maybe they might be reading about you in 3,000 years. I don't know. I, I don't think anybody in this room even comes close to David. And look what he did. Look at what was in his heart. The truth is we all desperately need confession. Now here's the other truth. The other truth we see is that confession can change anyone. All right? Confession can change anyone. Look at the change that it brought to David. I mean, some of, you, some of you have blown up your lives, right? And I'll tell you this. You know, it seems like as a pastor, being in the ministry for a while now, uh, nothing seems to surprise me anymore. All right? I, I, I have heard just about everything. As a pastor, I've heard some of the most devastating stories of people making a complete mess of their lives and the lives of many other people. But I have never heard of anybody making a worse mess of their lives than this. This is about as ugly as it gets. You know what that means? If David can be changed, so can you. He blew up his life, but he came out singing, right? Psalm 51 is David's confession of his sin. And look what he says at the end of this psalm, at the end of this confession. He says, O Lord, open up my lips and my mouth will declare your praise and my tongue will sing of your righteousness. You know what? You know what's happening here? He is not just singing about God's mercy. He's also singing about God's holiness, about God's righteousness. How in the world did he get there? Confession. It's confession. Well, there's also a good chance, if you've been struggling, that you are thinking, you know what? Confession doesn't work for me. Whenever I tried to confess, I just ended up feeling worse. Anybody here feel like that? Anybody experience that? If, if confession, and I want this to encourage you, okay? It might not sound like it at first, but listen. If confession has not led you to joy, if confession only brought you discouragement, if confession has not changed us and kept us from, from falling back into the same old things over and over and over again, then 
be encouraged. You're doing it wrong. Okay? It means that you haven't truly confessed and that confession is still, life-changing confession is still available to you. So there is hope. We'll start there. Anyone can change even you. Even me. All right. This chapter 12 is the turning point in David's life. So what is involved in confession? I see four essentials when it comes to confession. If you're taking notes, first, confession means that you see your sin. All right? Nathan came to David with a story. And he says to David, you know what? There was a rich man who had a large number of sheep and cattle. And there was a poor man who had just one little lamb, which was like a daughter to him because this lamb was like part of the family, right? But when the rich man wanted to prepare a meal, instead of taking one of his own sheep, he took the only lamb that belonged to the poor man and slaughtered it. And it says that David's anger just burned within him. And, and he said, that man deserves to die. Then verse 7, Nathan said to David, you are the man. You are the man. And that truth just knocked David over. And for the first time, David sees his sin. Now, I'm sure there was a sense in which he saw it before, but he wasn't seeing it, seeing it clearly. He wasn't facing up to it. Why? Because sin is deceitful. Our sin makes us blind to our sin. All right, so let's say that your vision starts to go things start to get blurry. My wife is telling me that my vision is starting to go because I don't rinse the dishes as thoroughly as I used to, apparently. So she asked me to go see the doctor. I went to the doctor and they said I had astigmatism. And I don't know about you, but it was until then I thought astigmatism was astigmatism, like one stigmatism. <laughs> and I was like, well, I'm glad I don't have two stigmatisms. But astigmatism is a condition, who know? But say you go into the doctor, and the doctor says, you have cataracts. Two of them. And so you look in the mirror and you say, I don't have cataracts. I can't see any stinking cataracts. Do you know why you can't see your cataracts? Because you have cataracts. Right? Sin is spiritual cataracts. It blinds you to its existence in you. But unlike cataracts, sin magnifies the sin of other people. When David heard the story about a man who took the lamb, he burned with rage because he, he could clearly see someone else's sin. Jesus made the same point when he says, you, you can see this tiny little speck of sawdust in, in your brother's eye, but you can't see the log in your own eye because you have a log in your own eye. So if you're thinking, 
you know, what is all of this talk about sin? I am not that bad. If that's what you're thinking, guess what? Here's the deal. None of us think we're all that bad. None of us have any idea how bad we really are. That's true for me. It's just as true for me as any of you. Here's the deal. If sin really is as bad as the Bible says, then one of the things it's going to do is make us think that we're not really that bad. If you're thinking, you know what? I wish so-and-so was here to hear this. Guess what? Hey, it may be true that they need to hear this, but there's also a good chance, if that's your first thought, that sin is blinding you to your own sin and magnifying the sin of somebody else. So this is for you and 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 whoever else that you can think of, but it's also for me too. All right? So then how can we see our sin? Like David, we need two things. If you're wondering, okay, if this is the first step, I need to see my sin, I need a diagnosis so that something can be done about it, how can I see it? We need two things. We need the Word of God and we need the people of God. Right? We need Nathans in our lives to help us understand the Word of God. That's why we do things like crowded houses where people carve out time deliberately to meet with other brothers and sisters in Christ and figure out how to help each other apply the gospel and to see each other's blind spots, to help each other because we love each other. And they help us understand the word of God and so that the word of God can shine a light on our sin so we have a proper diagnosis, so we see our need for confession or our need for healing. So my question is, are you regularly taking in the word of God? My other question is, do you have Nathans in your life? People who love you. Who are they? My encouragement is if you can't think of anybody, seek them out. Ask for help. So life-changing confession means that you see your sin. Secondly, you own it. You own your sin. Biblical confession involves taking responsibility for our sin. Look at verse 13. David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. Period. No ifs, ands, or buts. I mean, no doubt Nathan showed up, uh, showed up and, uh, or before he did, that David was rationalizing things to himself. Sure, like, sure, Uriah died, but the sword of the Ammonites did it. I mean, I didn't kill him. Stuff happens. I mean, he would have died in battle at any time. Or maybe I shouldn't have taken Bathsheba, but I'm king. I'm under a lot of pressure, the weight of the crown and all that. I needed her to survive my job. I know she wasn't my wife, but she makes me feel alive. And if, you know, if this guy was more of a man, then, then he could have given her what she needed or whatever. And so God, through Nathan, said to David, you have struck down Uriah the Hittite with the sword, and you have taken his wife to be your wife, and you have killed him with the sword of the Ammonites. And then finally, David 
owned up to his sin, and he says, I have sinned against the Lord. I take full responsibility, no excuses. I can't blame it on the pressures of being king. I can't blame it on the Ammonites. I can't blame it on on Bathsheba. I wanted to do it. I decided to do it. I did do it. I own it. You know, much of our confession gets shorted out by one small word, but. Forgive me for losing my temper, but that's just the way I was raised. You know how many people use that nonsense to justify all kinds of action? Do something stupid, do something dumb, something painful. Well, that's just the way I was raised. Oh, well, in that case, by all means, go right ahead. But we use that to justify things all the time. That's just the way I was raised. Forgive me for cheating, but you know what? Look, nobody cares because everybody cheats sometime. Or forgive me for complaining. But you know what? I try so hard, I do all this, and nobody appreciates it. No one says thanks. Or forgive me for having a short fuse, but I'm under a lot of pressure. What a lot of people call their confession is, is, is really complaining. Confession is not explaining your sin. Confession is owning it with no buts. Look, the Bible does have a very high view of individual freedom and responsibility, okay? The Bible does recognize that that we are influenced by by various conditions. It could be hereditary or your upbringing or some kind of circumstances. But the Bible also says, and is very clear about this, that your conditions, your circumstances are not the cause. It's not the cause. The bottom line is that somewhere in the dynamics of your actions, you're responsible. That means that, that you're not hopeless. That, that means that, that you're not just a victim of circumstances and, and other people. That means that, that you can still take responsibility no matter what your circumstances have been. Confession is saying, I am fully responsible for my actions. Not my parents, not my circumstances, not what others did to me or or what others did not do, but they should have. Right? Confession means you own it. All right? Third, it involves softening your heart. You know the reason people, so many people feel worse after confession than before is because, and this might be where you are right now, so, so pay attention. If you're hurting right now and you're feeling lousy right now and all this stuff is coming to your head and you're like, I'm such a loser, listen. The reason many people feel worse after confession than before is because having seen their sin and owned their sin, they now beat themselves up with God's law. Or they have other friends or family members or other church people beat them up with God's law. But that's the wrong use of the law. The law shows us our sin. The law never changed anybody, ever. And yet, we so often, even in Christian circles, try to leverage the law to, to bring a, a, about ch- life transformation. It doesn't work. It just crushes people. The law has its place. We need the law to show us our, our sin, right? 
But if you're looking to have the law change you, or if somebody's trying to, trying to change you through the law, it will crush you. I know people, I know this guy, a guy you used to work for. After years of trying to go to church, he just said, you know what? I can't do it. It's too hard. I quit. I'm not going back. Because he was taught that the law changed him. The law is too hard. It's much easier if I just don't go to church anymore. Look, the deal is, only God's love can change you. And then out of love for God, you follow the law to express love to him. But only God's love can change you. And I'll explain what that means. When God confronts David, God doesn't crush David's heart with the law. He softens his heart with his love. God reminds him of all the blessings that he has. I anointed you as king, delivered you out of the hand of Saul, gave you your master's house and your master's wives into your arms, gave you the house of Israel and of Judah. And if this were too little, I would add to you as much more. Why have you despised the word of the Lord? You know, he, God didn't start with David, I clearly told you, thou shalt not commit adultery, but you did. And you know what? He did. That's true. And I clearly told you, thou shalt not murder, but you did. He did. That's true. David, you broke my law. So shape up. Now, everything that, that is 100% true and it is relevant. But God doesn't, it's, it doesn't stand alone. God doesn't start with that. He reminds David of how he has poured out his love and his generosity. How could you despise my, my love? Wasn't my love enough for you? What more could you possibly want than the love from the creator and sustainer of the universe? Now, why don't you just ask me? Now, look, we've all heard this kind of language before. We have. Like when a spouse gets cheated on, and that pain that comes with the cheating. And you hear things like, look how much I loved you. I mean, what more could I have done? I mean, if there was something else that you wanted, all you had to do was just ask me. I would have given it to you. You have despised my love. You have despised me. And it's not just that you broke the rules. You broke my heart. And in a sense... That's what God is saying to David. Why? Because God doesn't want to crush David. God wants to change David. God does not want to crush you. He wants to change you. He loves you just the way you are, but he loves you too much to let you remain as you are. God is wants to change his heart, and so God is going for the sin beneath the sin. It's not just these bad things that he did. What's under that? God is going, he's reaching for, for that. Using the law alone makes you feel worse. Using, using love is just as devastating, but it heals you. The very thing that convicts you is also what restores you. Again, Psalm 51, David's confession Look what he says. He says, against you and you only have I sinned. Does that sound weird to anybody else here but me? 
Because didn't he sin against Uriah and against Bathsheba and the other soldiers that got killed and, and Uriah's family and the, and the nation of, of Israel? Well, look, David knows that. But right here, what's happening right here is he is confessing the sin beneath the sin. For example, David realizes that before there was physical adultery, there was spiritual adultery. Spiritual adultery always happens before physical adultery. He had trampled on the love of God. He forgot God's unfailing love. He was looking to, this is the sin beneath the sin. He was looking to something other than God for his satisfaction. I'm telling you, we all do this all of the time. And it is idolatry. And we need to ask God to show that to us, to give us that diagnosis. David's heart was made miserable, not you know, just through fear, but through mercy. And when that happens, you confess not just your bad behavior, not just your sinful behavior, but the sin beneath the sin, at the root of it, the sin of thinking and acting as if God's love is not enough. I also need this thing or that thing or this person or that person. The question you have to ask yourself is, God and his love enough for you? Is he enough? So what's involved in confession? See your sin, own your sin, soften your heart, and forth. And here's, here's this is where the power comes, okay? Believe God's promise. Believe God's promise. David says, David said, I sinned against the Lord. And God says to David, through Nathan, he says, the Lord has put away your sin and you shall not die. What does that mean? Well, when he says uh, God has put away your sin, it has a very specific meaning. God is saying, I don't see it. God is saying, not anymore. It's been taken out of my sight. Therefore, therefore, I forgive you. I'm not holding it against you. I'm no longer treating you as a condemned man. I have taken your sin away from my eyes. And then he says, you are not going to die. Since your sin has been taken away, I will not punish your sin. Since I no longer see your sin, I will not give you what you actually deserve. I will not make you pay. Do you know what would happen if, if David did get what he deserved? What he would lose? He would lose his life, he would lose his kingship, he would lose his relationship with God and his mission in life. And what was David's mission in life? His mission was to bear the family line from which the Messiah would be born. God had made a promise to David and he said, from you will come one who will save and deliver the world. And that promise had been given before to Adam and Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. And in 2 Samuel 7, God says to David, from you 
will come the promised one. Through your descendants will come the one who will save the world. He will be one of your offspring. I will be his father and he will be my son and his throne will last forever. You're going to bear the family line through which I will bring the Messiah. Therefore, I am not giving you what you deserve and therefore you are not going to die. How... How can God do that? How can God do that? How can David just totally blow up his life the way that he did and then simply confess his sin and be forgiven? I mean, that seems just way too easy, right? How can an all-holy God, an all-just God, let David off the hook like that? I mean, it is hard to imagine you know, a sin more serious than what, what David's been doing here. But as soon as David confesses, God forgave it. How is that even possible? God can do that because he sees David's descendant. God can do that because he sees the Messiah. God can do that because he saw his son Jesus. And you know what? There was nothing easy about it. God saw his son Jesus live a perfect life of obedience. Then he saw his son Jesus go to the cross to die for David's sin and for your sin and for my sin. And when God says to us, I have put away your sin, where does he put it? He places it on his son. And then Christ got what we deserved so that we could get what Jesus deserves. So if you have put your faith and trust in Christ as your substitute, the one who lived for you and died for you and, and, and gave you credit for that by his grace and his grace alone, you know how God the Father, our all holy just God, sees you even as messed up as your life might be right now, your loving, all-powerful, almighty, all-holy God sees you as clothed in the righteousness of Jesus and his perfect righteousness. So when we confess our sin, God forgives. This right here, here is how we change. What are you struggling with? today? What's sucking the life out of you? Maybe you're desperate right now, despondent. See your sin, own your sin, soften your heart, believe God's promise. No matter how badly you have just blown up your life, no matter how dark things seem to be right now, I am telling you on the promises of God, you can be forgiven and you can change. Your failure can be radically transformed. John the Apostle says this, if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just. He doesn't let go of his justice to forgive you. He doesn't let it slide. 
He's just because the sin has been paid for on the cross in Jesus in your place. And so when you confess your sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us all our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Even the sin of imperfect confession. We never fully see our sin. We never fully own our sin. We never fully soften our hearts or fully believe God's promise. But if we confess on the basis of the blood of Christ, then you know what? God, if he is just in light of the cross, God must forgive your sin. And he will forgive your sin every time. God has promised you that. And God cannot lie. Amen? Would you bow your heads with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you for your amazing grace. We thank you that it is your kindness that leads us to repentance. And God, it is, it is my prayer that we would, in fact, see our sin. I pray on behalf of all of the Christians here, of, of our church right here, and the people whom you are drawing right now, I pray that by your Holy Spirit, you would show us, each of us, our, our sin in our hearts. Help us to feel the weight of it. But God, it is my prayer, Lord, that our sight would not end right there. That we would see your grace, that we would see your love, that we would see the forgiveness that you have for us in Christ because he paid the penalty to make us right with you. And so <laughs> that you can now see us in the righteousness of Christ. God, so often we try to deny our sin, convince ourselves we're not that bad, because that would be just negative, bad vibes, whatever. But God, as much as we try to convince ourselves we're not that bad, oh, it is a poor substitute a horrible substitute for being clothed in the righteousness of Jesus. God, help us to see how much we need you and how much you love us. God, I pray that your grace would enable us to bring our sin out into the light, to openly and freely confess it so we can experience your healing and not just live in denial about it. Create among our church a culture of confession that leads people to rest in Christ.
a joy that fills our heart with hearts overflowing with worship. God, we pray for this in your name.